All right, well, welcome to The Crossing today. And before we jump in, I always want to welcome the uh, Crossing family who are not in the room with us. We want to welcome our Southeast location who are tuning in. Those who are watching online, whether you're sick, you couldn't make it, or you're traveling, we're glad you're checking us out. And then even our microsites who meet in living rooms in different areas across the country that you're tuning in. Can we welcome those uh, them family here at The Crossing and be part of it? Glad you're here. Speaking of uh, Crossing family, in August... 17th, we're having our second annual team conference. And it's a day where we pour into every leader and every volunteer here at The Crossing. So at Southeast Location, Microsites, we want you to join us as well. It's an amazing day from 8 to 2. We provide breakfast and lunch. We have leadership principles that we're going to give you to make the biggest impact here at The Crossing. And what's so cool is that last year, Shane just prayerfully mentions that maybe something down the road in the future, uh, we want to go to middle of city to make an impact there. And here we are just a few months away from actually making that a reality. So that's what this day is about, kind of casting vision for the crossing, but also to build into you. And this year, we have two guest speakers. We have Dave Taplin, and he works for Chick-fil-A in town. And I love what a staff member told me this week. Chick-fil-A isn't just a chicken thing. It's actually a leadership thing. They do a great job creating a culture in their staff to just love people who welcome, who come in. So we're going to learn from them. But also Ruth Haley Barton. This is amazing. She is a renowned author, a renowned speaker. She is unbelievable. She's actually founded an organization, a foundation called Transforming Center, which is a ministry dedicated to strengthening the souls of leaders, of Christian leaders. So we're going to be hearing from her. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be an amazing day. Again, sign up at thecrossinglv.com slash team conference today. And if you think you're like, maybe I'm a leader, maybe on a team, or you signed up and you haven't placed yet, show up. Okay, we want you there. Uh, Well, I love this series. I love the theme for today, Fierce, looking at women who change the world around me. And I've had some amazing women in my life who've changed my world. Raise your hand in here, Southeast Location, if you know women in your life who are fierce, who are strong. Let me see. Come on, show of hands. There we go. Yeah, somebody in your life. Uh, Hopefully you're nudging somebody. Well, the first person that comes to mind to me is my mom. Uh, My mom is right here. Uh, She is unbelievable. She raised four kids. I'm the youngest of four. And while she was raising us, she went to school to get an education degree. When I was in elementary school, she went for full-time teacher, fourth grade, rose up to be a vice principal, and retired there. And something that I learned from her was the injustice towards family. If you mess with our family, man, she doesn't take it. She doesn't take it. And so that's something I learned from her. And then this is my Nana, her mom. She married a Lieutenant Colonel and he was a big deal. He could send thousands of men uh, into harm's way. He's won medals, but when it came to the household, she was general. I tell you that she was in charge of that place. When it came to a thermostat on the wall, you didn't mess with her and they got in fights all the time. I loved overhearing them bicker, but people loved her in North Carolina, small town. People loved Nana. But then I think about my wife's side, and this is a picture of them, all four generations representing, and this is grandmother, and I've, you probably heard me talk about her before, but when she was in her late 70s, 80s, she volunteered for a ministry called Bruised Reed, where they would go into the strip clubs in Lexington, and she would bake for them. She'd bake a birthday cake for the bouncer for his birthday, mashed potatoes for the girls, sit with them in the dressing room, and everyone in that club called her grandmother. She's just fierce and courageous. And then my mother-in-law, and I'm, just, I'm not saying this to suck up to a mother-in-law, but she is unbelievable, okay? She was president and CEO of a company for years, over 30 years, well-respected in Kentucky for government housing and her work there. But she's also on a board 
to actually launch the first coffee shop that employed those with special needs, the first of its kind in Kentucky, something I want to start here in Las Vegas. Yeah, get up for mother-in-law, Carol. And then, of course, my wife, she's learned from the best to be fierce and to stand up in those times where it's needed the most. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about a girl named Abigail, a woman named Abigail. And even if you've gone to the crossing or church for a long time, you might not have heard of Abigail. But before we look at her, before she steps into the scene, let me set this up. There's three main characters in this story. We're going to be reading for 1 Samuel 25, if you want to look it up uh, in your Bible apps or go to the crossing app. You can hit sermon notes and you can follow along that way. So three main characters. The first character is David. All right, David at a very, very young age, he was chosen. He was appointed, anointed to be king of Israel. And the person who anointed him and chose him was this guy named Samuel. And Samuel was like a prophet during that day. He would hear from God what he desired of God's people, the direction. And so Samuel would act out in that way. He was an anchor to the faith of Israel, an anchor to David's life as well. And then before David grows up to be king, there was another king that Samuel chose and anointed, or God spoke through him to choose. His name was Saul. And Saul and David became really close friends, like a mentorship, a master-servant kind of relationship. And Saul was there whenever David showed up on the scene to kill Goliath. And that was a huge day. That was a big deal for David. That's when David became famous. In fact, songs were sung about David where they would sing like, Saul kills his thousands, but David, he kills his tens of thousands, which Saul hated, right? He, he didn't like that at all. He didn't like David at that moment. So he went after David to try to take him out, tried to kill him. So David got a lot of his people that were loyal to him and they were running around the known world, running away from Saul and they find themselves in the wilderness out on the outskirts of town, a town a lot like Vegas at Red Rock. Imagine they're at Red Rock. That's the kind of environment that they're in. Brush and bush and rocks, not much resources. Him and a bunch of people are there. Saul's chasing after him. And while David's hanging out in the wilderness, Samuel passes away the guy he looked up to, the anchor to their faith. And he's got to be questioning, am I going to be king now? Because the person who chose me is no longer there. That's David's part. Well, inside the town, there is this household. And the person in charge of the household, his name is Nabal. And Nabal is a wealthy man. I mean, think about like the mayor of the town, mayor of the place. He has a thousand goats, 3,000 sheep. He's described as surly and mean in his dealings. He's also described as a Calebite. And Caleb is translated into dog, okay? Not a compliment, but describes Nabal very perfectly. And married to Nabal is Abigail. And Abigail in the Bible is described as beautiful and intelligent. How in the world did Nabal get Abigail, right? This dog of a man, this beautiful, intelligent woman. What most likely theologians would say is an arranged marriage that her family gave her to Nabal and then he gave the family resources, potentially set them up for life. That's how it was. And that is Abigail's story. That is her past. This is a situation that she finds herself in. 
Well, at this time, the three main players, David, Nabal, and Abigail, in this time, it is sheep shearing time. Okay, don't say that five times five. Okay, you get in trouble like I've done. All right, so it's sheep shearing time, and it is a huge deal, okay? This is where Nabal and his 3,000 sheep are going to be sheared. There's going to be a lot of wool, and they're going to make a ton of money. So they're having wine. They're having food, more food than normal, and it's a celebration. And David, while in the wilderness, Nabal's sheep and his shepherds have wandered into David's area. And so instead of taking the shepherds for himself or the sheep for himself, he decided to protect the sheep and protect the shepherds. He was being a nice guy. And because it's a festive time, he wants a compensation. He wants a little receipt, a tip for him being so nice for Nabal and Nabal's stuff. So he tell David tells his 10 servants to go to Nabal uh, at Carmel and greet him in my name. By saying David, that holds a lot of weight. Because here's the deal. I'm famous, okay? I'm verified on Instagram and Twitter. TMZ is following me around. They want to know who I'm dating, the clubs I'm going to, the fashion shows. I'm a big deal. And so if you say my name, potentially he'd be more likely, more willing to give up his stuff for us. Now, continue to tell them this. Now, I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't mistreat them. And the whole time they're at Carmel... Uh, nothing of theirs was missing. Even ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Whatever's just laying around. You're a wealthy guy. Whatever, just generous at your own heart. We love just to have anything you would give to us. Well, Nabal responds to the servants by saying this. Uh, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Which the servants are like, we said nothing about son of Jesse. You know exactly who David is. Oh, he is just trying to be powerful. He's trying to have all of his wealth. He's trying to show off to David. In fact, in Kentucky, where I'm from, this is what we call fighting words. Okay, this is fighting words. He's going to start insulting him. He even goes further by saying, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. He's talking about how Saul and David, how the band is broken up because it's illegal for a servant to break away from the master. He's just digging it in. Oh my gosh, he's trying to take him off. And then they keep on going, why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where, coming from far in the distance in the wilderness. David's men turn around and went back. And can you imagine, this is what I do when I read scripture, like imagine the servant's response. And there's two different ways of doing it, right? This is probably what I would do is go back to Dave and say, hey, there's this guy, he doesn't know who you are. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't know who you are. He heard about Saul and you, maybe, I don't know. It's just, it's, let's just ignore him. Or if you're a servant, like, dude, I can't wait to tell David this guy's nuts. Like, I can't wait to talk. He's talking about this Saul, talking about his mama, like all this stuff. Like, it is going to go on. David's going to lose his mind. So they told him every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your swords. And so they did. And David also strapped his as well. And about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed away supplies. Man, he's taking the tweets to the street. They are locked and loaded. They're going to go up to Nabal. They're going to take him out. They're going to take his whole household down. It is on. You had fighting words. Well, now we're going to fight. Okay, that's what we say in Kentucky. I've lost my mind up here. Anyway, so in that mind... In that moment, this is not David's best moment in his life, right? He's taken this guy who's been a little bit mean to him and he has lost his mind. But you have to know, he is grieving. Samuel's passed away, an anchor to his faith and to his life. And if you've ever been in a grieving moment, you know that any decision you make is probably not a healthy one. 
And then you have Saul, his mentor, his master, trying to kill him. How stressful is that? And this is a huge deal because David's path, his direction, his trajectory is the throne. He's going to be king one day. And this whole situation, out of anger, out of pride, he may never recover this from this moment. And I think all of us, right, have had this kind of moment in our life where a Nabal comes in and they say something to us, they comment on something, and we lose our minds. The priorities that God has set for us. Well, word gets back to Abigail. Most likely it's the shepherds that were with David. They hear all this, what Nabal said, what David's going to do. And they go to Abigail, tell her everything. And then they say to her, now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. You know people like that in your life, right? No one can talk to him. They're telling her to be fierce, stay courageous. They're telling her to stand up for what is right, even when the person thinks they're always right. And she has to stand up between two incredibly powerful men, one that's wealthy, wealthiest she's ever known, and David, the most famous person in the entire world. Stand up for what is right, even when the person you're with thinks they're always right. And then just in three words, verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. And she has to act quickly because David's coming, disaster is hanging over her, and the time is of the essence, and she has to make a decision. She has to act. But I think the same might be true for you today as well. Today might be true where your marriage has been just a little bit off. Communication hasn't been there. Potentially somebody's being overworked and they're not coming home and they're in a bad place. It's just a tough season. Maybe this week, today, you got to act quickly. Time is of the essence. Disaster is hanging over you. Or maybe it's just your kids, right? Maybe they're connected with a new friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And now they're saying things and doing things, lying, manipulating things that has not happened before. And now you're just a little bit worried that something's off the rails. Well, today, this week, act quickly. Time is of the essence. Disaster may be hanging over you and your household and your kids. Or maybe it's just your workplace. Potentially you're in a moment where you have crossed lines in integrity and character than you never thought you would do in a workplace. Whether you're the boss or an employee and you're not comfortable this week, act quickly. Time is of the essence. Disaster may be hanging over you and your workplace. Or it's just yourself. Whether it is grief or emotionally, immensely, spiritually, physically, you've just been off for too long, act quickly. Time is of the essence. Disaster is hanging over you. Martin Luther King, he says it best, the time is always right to do what is right. And for Abigail, that was so true. She gathered all the resources she could, the things that Nabal should have done the first time, sent servants and donkeys and found David and quickly got off the donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Abigail was able to match this pride and anger with humility and gentleness. What I've learned over the years, when somebody is that angry and that prideful, it's never good to match it with more pride and more anger. And here's the deal. When you need to act quickly and there needs to be a conversation this week, there can be emotion. Your personality needs to come out. But do it in a way with humility and gentleness that you want them to win and the situation to win, to not be prideful yourself. 
She goes on by saying, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. Okay, hold on. He's from the house of dog and his name is fool. It is too perfect. This guy is the worst. And what she's saying to him is that this guy, Nabal, he is not worth it. This guy's wicked. He is mean. Don't let him of all people take you out, take you down. She continues on in verse 28, that the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Meaning that you have a future. You're going to be king one day. The impact you're going to make is going to be huge. And not only that, Abigail doesn't even know half of it because Jesus is going to be coming through the bloodline of David. So much is at stake. So much is hanging in the balance of David's pride and anger. She continues on, because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, talking about Saul, the life of my Lord, as so beautifully said, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemy will be hurled away as from the pocket of a sling. She's bringing back the greatest hits, isn't she? Remember that moment where you kill Goliath with a stone and a sling? God's going to do the same thing with your enemies. She even goes on, My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And she's reminding him, you know this, God avenges the situations. God avenges for you. That's not your job. And even when you become king, if that's even going to happen still, you're going to have this guilt and shame weighing on you for so long. This is a huge moment for her to stand up for what was right to a person who thought he was always right. And for her action to act quickly played a major role in David's story, but also God's story. And so David accepts her gift and he goes back into the wilderness. But the story isn't over yet. The next day, because she hasn't told Nabal yet, her husband, what's happened. The next day after he's sobered up from partying all night, she tells him everything. And his heart failed him and he became like stone. Has basically a heart attack. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said very spiritually, praise be the Lord, yeah, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his head. Hello. And then, then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. The, the body isn't cold yet, people. Okay, he's already wanted to marry this woman. Uh, his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. So she comes to him. She bowed down low her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servant. See, if Abigail is going to have to be with somebody, be married to somebody, why not be somebody who listens to her, not rejects her? And David, for him to be with Abigail, he wants to be with somebody who stands up for what is right, even when he thinks he's always right. And here's the thing. I think there's just a lot of Abigail-Nabal relationships these days. There's a lot of Nabals in the world, too, where anger and pride is just, is destruction and disaster hanging over households. And, not, and Nabals typically never apologize. 
They never ask for your input about their decisions or who they are. They always think they're right. And oftentimes, Nabal's believe they're so awesome. They're so right. They're so powerful. They don't need to pursue or work at a relationship. But I just want to let you know, every woman in here, every girl in here, and to do student ministry for over 12 years, to talk to high school girls, to remind them over and over again, you are worthy of being pursued. And not by men, but by your heavenly Father, that your value and your worth is not based on what society, what culture says about you, these ungodly expectations, whether it's a number on a scale or having you raise your kids so perfectly and doing it without breaking a sweat, you are worthy of a pursuit. I love in Proverbs 18, 22, the man who finds a wife <laughs> finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Men, you know what it's like to find treasure? You got to fight through wind. You got to fight through the ocean, through the sea, fight through the jungle, tear down trees and bushes, and then you find the treasure. And women in the room, what did God just call you? A treasure. And so young people or single people in the room, first and foremost, culture says that you are not worthy or valued unless a man is in your life or looks at you and appreciates you. That is not true. Because God has already shown you over and over again how valuable and how worthy you already are, what he's shown you through Jesus. But if you are wanting to pursue somebody, if you're in a relationship, find someone that hears you. Because there's plenty of David and Nabal moments where there's a decision being made where it's going to put them away from the direction that God has for them. And they need you. And men, this is what's called fighting through that jungle, to pursue somebody, to fight down your own pride and listen and I give you permission this week, ladies, that if your man is not listening to you, you can tell them you're being such a nabal right now, okay? You're not listening to me. You're going to disaster. You're going the wrong direction. And in all the marriages in the room, you know, men, when you found the treasure, you don't sit in your recliner and watch sports for 12 hours, okay? You value this treasure every day. You show how valuable and worth this treasure is. You appreciate every day. In fact, William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, you might have heard this before. He says, the greatness of a man's power is measured by his surrender. And if in here, if, you are a, if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you're new to this church thing, this isn't for you. This is for those who are committed to want to follow Jesus. And every day you wake up and surrender to his will, what he wants of you. And then when you're married, you've made that second biggest commitment in your life to surrender every day, lay down your life for that person. Now, women in the room, this isn't mean like, yeah, I listen to every word I say. They said it, all right? No, it's a mutual <laughs> surrender. That's what a healthy marriage is all about. And for my wife and I, what we try to do with our kids is that we got this book, a friend gave it to us, called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And every page has a great story of a fierce and a courageous woman. And I'm trying to teach my girls this is what it's like to be a godly woman, to be fierce and courageous. And whatever the story they find themselves in, in every page, whatever, however they're wired, whatever they look like, they stand up for what is right. And then I read these stories out loud so my son can hear it because we do bedtime together. And I want him to know what a godly woman is like. We don't look at women to objectify them. We look at them to show them how worthy and valuable they are because of who God says they are. They are a treasure. And every woman... From Abigail to every girl in this book, to amazing women in my life. What they all have in common is they're able to take the situation they're in, the story they find themselves in, 
and by the help of God, rise up to stand up, to be fierce and courageous. Brene Brown, who's an incredible author, incredible speaker, she says this, you either walk inside your story and you own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. We don't want women of the crossing to hustle for your worthiness. Walk in your story that you are in from your past, the present situation you're in, the future that God has for you, but not walking alone, but walk with your heavenly father who says that you are a treasure. Brene Brown also says this, another quote, that nothing has transformed my life more than realizing that it's a waste of time to evaluate my worthiness by weighing the reaction of the people in the stands. Whatever men say about you, what society says about you, the number on the scale says of you is not what God says of you. Stand up for what is right, even when you're with someone or society thinks they're always right. Stay fierce, stay courageous. You are worthy of being pursued. You are a treasure. Your goal this week is allowing God of the daughters to tell you who you are. And listen to this. And let that be enough for today and for this week. Let me pray for us, whether online, southeast location, in this room. Let's all bow our heads. And, and something I've been trying to do in my own life is being present with my Heavenly Father. And what we know about our Heavenly Father, that He is love, which means when I'm in His presence, I am in His love which means that I am valuable and I'm worthy when I'm with him. And I don't know what your week has looked like, your seasons have looked like, but maybe just in this moment, we just let's just sit in God's presence and his love, reminded over and over again of what he says about us and what he's done for us. Some of you right now are processing the conversation that you need to have this week, whether it is with a spouse or one of your kids or somebody, coworker or a friend. My hope in this moment, you're able to get some action steps, the words you need to say, the timing. So let's do this. Let me, let me pray for us and let me pray for the women in the room especially. Heavenly Father, thank you for just this time, for this day. Thank you for calling every woman in this room a treasure. And they're not a treasure because of what they look like. They're not a treasure of how they're raised. They're not a treasure because of their past. They're not a treasure because of how they raise their kids. They're a treasure because simply because you created them. And they are yours. You are mine, ours. Lord, I pray for every woman in this room that they understand that their value and worth isn't from what society says, but from what you say. Help us be reminded of that every single moment. Lord, I pray for just those things in our life where it feels like disaster may be hanging over us. Give us the words. Give us the action step. Lead us courageously to stand up for people who think they're always right. And let that be enough. We pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen.